Welcome to Raw Storytelling, a podcast where real people share unscripted and uncensored real stories. And I'm your host, Enid Nolasco. Hey everyone, how's it going? Are we ready to start the second episode? Yes, yes, yes. On this episode, we'll hear three stories recorded at our December 2017 live true storytelling show, which takes place at Cafe Collective in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And the theme for the night was family. And boy, do we all have some family issues. This is a theme that we'll definitely be revisiting in a future show. I want to give a shout out first to DJ Sondos, that's Z-O-N-D-O-Z, who not only records our live shows so that you can be actually listening to this here, but he also volunteers as our DJ, making these shows super special, and he's our official mood maker. He's great. And I also want to shout out to Fabiel Lozada. He is an old college friend who volunteers as our podcast editor, and this thing wouldn't be a thing without him. He makes it sound amazing. So without further ado, let's get raw. Our first storyteller is Gary Bremen. He's a captivating storyteller who has won multiple story slams, including the Fort Lauderdale Story Slam and the Miami chapter of The Moth. For real, he actually won a Moth Story Slam, and we're so honored to have him here at Raw. When he's not sharing stories, he's a park ranger, which is pretty cool, (laughs) and his story is titled, I Never Wanted to Be a Parent. I never wanted to be a parent, and honestly, of all the potential hazards of sex, I never thought kids would be one of mine since I'm gay as a goose, but um, sometimes things don't work out the way you plan. To be perfectly clear, I've always loved her, and uh, I always will. But parenting is tough, and it's frustrating. We both love games, and one day we were playing games, and she was doing really well. In fact, she beat me two games in a row. And I should have been happy, right? Because love is bigger than winning or losing, except for the fact that I'm crazy competitive. And I don't like not winning. So I double down. And I beat her two games in a row. And suddenly she says, I'm tired. I don't want to play anymore. And I feel guilty. She's stubborn, for sure. And uh, that's uh, another key indicator that we're related. We, we walked into the IHOP for breakfast, and it felt like half the restaurant turned and looked at us and were whispering and pointing. She was so cute. She wanted to be so independent. I don't need you to hold the door for me. I don't need you to help me sit down. I don't need you to take me to the bathroom. So independent. And... Um, when it comes to, to ordering food, it's always difficult as well because 
it's the opposite of independence when it's ordering food. Because then it's like, I don't know what I want. Just order something for me. Okay, she'll have an omelet. I don't like omelets. I never signed up for this. It's just so frustrating. So finally, we settle on uh, sausage and pancakes with strawberry syrup. She loves strawberry anything. When she was really little, strawberry jelly was the way to make her eat her eggs. And um, so the food finally arrives, and it gets there, and she doesn't want help. So she's trying to break the sausage with a fork, and I'm just watching. And finally she just gives up. She puts the fork down. She grabs the sausage, and there's strawberry syrup running down her knuckles, and I'm embarrassed, and I know I shouldn't be because the important thing is that she's eating, right? And um, But I say, I'm not going to let this bother me, but the fact is it does. It bothers me. And uh, the meal slowly disappears bite by bite. I've long since finished my own meal. And so I just sit there and I watch her as she eats piece after piece coming up, close examination before putting it into her mouth. And I start to uh, get my brain flooded with all kinds of memories of, of good times with her. And uh, I think back to one in particular that was captured in a photograph, and she's got a party hat on, and I'm standing next to her, and I've got a little party hat on, and our dog Judy is in front of us, and Judy has a party hat on, and Judy has a birthday cake made out of dog food and a candle in it. And it's a really funny picture in a lot of ways, but the funny part to me is that I'm half cut off at the edge of the picture because it was taken with one of those cameras where you look through the lens and the viewfinder and they're not the same place, so the pictures are always kind of off, right? We had lots of those pictures. And I'm thinking of other pictures of happy vacation times and and standing out under the tree in the front yard. And so I'm smiling, but I still find myself looking at my phone to see what time it is. And every time I look, it's like one minute past the last time I looked. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel guilty, so I purposely put my phone down, and, and then I pick it up again, and think, oh, I should check Facebook, I should check my email, and, and no, I shouldn't do that. And then a little devil pops up over here and says, do it, check your Facebook. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I double down, I'm not going to do this. And then I find myself thinking of all the things that I, that I could be doing instead and the things I should be doing. And the little angel pops up on this side, no, this is what you should be doing. Time is fleeting. She's not going to be like this forever. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And I feel guilty the whole time. And finally, the meal's finished. We pay the bill. We go out to the car. And uh, I open the door, hold the door for her. It takes her a while to get in and get settled and put the seatbelt on. She always has trouble clicking the, the seatbelt. So I wait, but this time she does it well, and I hear that telltale click. I know she's safe. 
And I close the door and I fold up her walker and put it in the back seat and I drive my mother home. Now that is a way to end the story. I don't know if you caught it at the end, but there was complete silence in the room. Actually, as he told his story, you could hear a pin drop. He had everybody hunching over and just listening in. And when he delivered that last line about his mom, there were audible gasps across the room. Jaws dropped. It took everyone a minute to like compose themselves and start clapping. It was really the perfect reaction to the perfect story. Okay, let's move on to our next story. The oh-so-funny Sheila Grullón. Okay, um, so I'll start by saying that, uh, yes, it's called the DDC goes to a bar mitzvah in Mexico for Thanksgiving. Um, so my little brother was a surprise. Uh, I want to take you back to like 2010. I'm sitting in a cubicle and my phone is going off nonstop. Uh, text messages are going crazy from my two older brothers and my sister. So I finally like stop what I'm doing, take a break from my emails and I check my phone. And the topic of conversation is my dad's extracurricular activities in the Dominican Republic. So my dad is 63 at the time. And um, rumor is he has a three-year-old son. Uh, my youngest sister is not in this group chat because she's 18. Uh, her parents, my dad and her mom, are recently divorced. She's still a little sensitive, so obviously we're not including her in this conversation. So fast forward a little bit, you know, after asking a few questions, really digging because my dad is like the man of mystery. Uh, we finally find out that it is true. There is a three-year-old um, brother that we never knew we had. And uh, my older siblings are, they're not very happy because they feel like my dad is being irresponsible. Uh, collectively, they have six children, and um, they range from age 7 to 17. So now we have a brother who's younger than the kids. And, you know, Dominican family. Yeah. That's how we get down. You know, the uncle is a baby, whatever. So, um, <laughs> needless to say, my family's a circus. Uh, so the DDC, which is my family, it's a Dominican diversity circus. Um, <laughs> the diversity part is where it gets really interesting. So now, my fast forward to now, my siblings have collectively 11 children. Um, none of them are 100% Dominican because everyone is very eclectic. So um, they started off real simple, you know, Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. We have a lot in common. A lot of my nieces and nephews are Puerto Rican. Um, then it gets really interesting. So I have one niece who's half Peruvian. I have three nieces and nephews who are half Chinese, Venezuelan. You see me doing the math, right? I know you guys are like, whoa, she can't even keep track. So my three nieces and nephews are Chinese, Chinese Venezuelan. Um, and then my other nephew is Jewish. His dad actually retired and moved to Mexico. So last year, my sister reaches out to us, and um, she invites us to my nephew's bar mitzvah. Now, if I know what a bar mitzvah is. I've never been to one, but I know what it is. Uh, you tell a Dominican father who's now 
69 years old. He's now 70, but this was last year. Uh, you tell him we're going to a bar mitzvah, and he's like, ¿El qué? ¿Qué eso? ¿Qué? Eventually, we explain that it's a big party, and he should come, and it's in Mexico, and he's like, all right, I'm down. Anything that's party, he's still into, which is part of the reason why he has a 10-year-old son, but whatever. So, so we go to this bar mitzvah. It happens to be Thanksgiving. Um, I did tell some of my friends that I wouldn't be around for Thanksgiving because I was going to Mexico to a bar mitzvah for my nephew. Nobody believes that. Um, people thought I was making that up, but it's a real thing. Um, so we get there. Everyone and their mother is invited. Mo actually, my brother and his six kids didn't go. My other brother and his four kids actually went. Um, and when I say everybody and their mother, I'm serious about everybody and their mother. My mom's, my sister's mom went, and my other sister's mom also went. So now my dad had two ex-wives going to Mexico on this big family vacation to a bar mitzvah. Um, so the first event, well, we get to this big house. It's like the real world. It's like, except it's multi-generational, multicultural, multi-madness, whatever. We all get to this one big house. There's 15 of us, including my dad's two exes. Um, everyone's running and picking rooms and, you know, oh, well, these people can't be together. My dad can't be in that room because one ex-wife is there. He can't be in the other room because the other's ex-wife is there. I mean, it was insane. Um, so we get to the house. We're all settled in. My little brother is actually the star of this entire weekend. We didn't know it at the time, but he really shined through. So the first event is Thanksgiving. It's being held at my nephew's dad's house. Um, these are very, you know, fancy people who retired from, I mean, there were people from like Brazil who moved to Mexico and like his friends from Miami who also moved to Mexico and they're art collectors and it's, you know, whatever. We got 15 people showing up to Thanksgiving dinner. Um, we all showed up in burgundy outfits, which that was my fault. I kind of suggested we all dress um, in similar colors so that we could take nice pictures. I didn't think everybody was going to pick the one color so everyone was in burgundy if anybody has me on instagram that's why um so anyway so we show up three cabs roll up we walk in it's a nice dinner party and here we are all of us dressed in burgundy and now everyone's asking questions you know typical fancy dinner party people are having drinks they're asking like oh so who's that you know oh, who are they like the three little asian ones because that's confusing. And we're like, oh, you know, whatever. So you explain yourself. You kind of try to keep everybody on the same page. They get very, very, very confused when they ask, oh, who's the little boy? And I'm like, oh, that's my brother. And they're like, wait, yes. He looks like my son, but he's my brother. Yes, he's 10. My dad is 70. You know, you got to go through the whole thing because a lot of people don't understand that. Unless you're Dominican, you're like, Dominicans will be like, yeah, okay. Everybody else is like, huh, what? Oh, my God. So the men are like, the men are actually secretly like, oh, your dad, hey, good for him. And all the women are like oh, clutching their pearls like, oh, my God, I can't believe he has a 10-year-old. Anyway, so while everyone is sitting down, you know, trying to, you know, seem fancy or what they think they're supposed to do at a fancy dinner party, my little brother is actually working the room. 
He's talking to people. He's introducing himself. He's telling people, I'm Anthony. I'm Kenny's uncle. Now, Kenny's 15 having a bar mitzvah, and here's the 10-year-old uncle going around shaking hands and whatever. So at one point, he's looking around the room, and there's all this, there's all this artwork. Again, they're art collectors. So he's looking around the room, and he's like, wow, these people have a lot of art. My little brother's not, he hasn't really been exposed to a whole lot. He lives in this little town called Lawrence, Massachusetts, which Dominicans know is like Dominicanville and whatever. Anyway, so he's looking around, and I explained to him that art is actually um, collectible. So these people collect art. They pay a lot of money, so I said, don't touch anything, because if you break something, we're in trouble. So, okay, he's looking, he's he's entertained. Um... After dinner, I'm sitting with the Brazilian couple and a few other people. He comes over with a piece of paper. I don't know where he found it, but he's like, guess what? And I'm like, oh, okay. So he walks up to the table. Now, if my dad was at this table, he would have just told him, get over there. Like, adults are talking. You need to, like, get out of the way. But it's all white people. So everyone's like, oh, let's tell us. Like, what is that? And he's like, oh, this is, a, this is um, an art piece I did. And I'm like, oh, wow, he got inspired by all the art. That's awesome. And he's like, it's called the scribble of life. Do you want to, by the way, it's literally just scribbles on a piece of paper. And he's like, do you want to know why it's called the scribble of life? And everyone's like, yeah, oh, yes. He's got a captive audience, kind of like you guys. And it's, so he's loving it. And he goes, um, because life is basically just one big scribble. And everyone's like, yeah oh my god he's so right how is he 10 and he's so and I'm like this kid is just whatever he likes the attention whatever so they encourage him to go show it to the owners of the house few minutes go by we're still chatting about whatever people chat about dinner parties he comes back he's got this thing he he, he comes over he's like yeah guess what and I'm like okay they're like what and he's like I sold my first art piece. And we're like, I'm in in my head, I'm like, oh my God, this little bastard is going around asking people for money. I'm like, so embarrassing. And they're like, really? Who bought it from you? And he's like, oh, you know, the lady who blah, blah, blah. So the lady who is married to my nephew's dad bought this piece from him. She thought it was brilliant. And she bought this piece from him for 200 Mexican pesos. That's like $11. But still, to him, he's like, 200 pesos? Like, I'm rich. So he's super excited, whatever. So we fast forward. This is just a, a, a few short stories to get you to see how my little brother works. Um, so the next day is actual ceremony. And um, those of you who have been to a bar mitzvah, you know that there's a candle lighting um, my nephew had to choose certain people he wanted to light each candle. And the last candle was lit by, was supposed to be lit by my brother. Um, and my two nieces were going to walk with him. So he took this so seriously. He was so serious about this job. He was asking us like, so when I go up there, like, and I'm like, you're just lighting a candle, but he's excited. So we're like, yeah, yeah, just watch other people. And the entire ceremony, he's watching. He's really taking everything in. And so when it's his turn, he goes up there. He ta- he does it, I mean, perfectly. I-, I lit a candle, and I was honestly like, what? what? 
where do I like this? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, whatever. He went up there like, we would say a G. And he just went and he lit his match and then went on and lit the last candle, gave my nephew a hug and went and sat down. And we're like, and you know, the crowd is like, oh, they already love him from the day before. And everyone's like, oh my God, oh, it's Anthony. Oh, how cute. Anyway, so at the end, He's really owning this thing. You would have thought it was his bar mitzvah because now he's got a yarmulke that he found at a, at a little basket by the door. He put it on. He's walking around. He's taking pictures. He's got, they're in my phone. He's literally got pictures or he's like this with his yarmulke on, whatever. Um, he's going around saying mazel tov to random people. And I'm like, who is this kid? So... Fast forward to the evening portion. Um, we went home. We all had to get, you know, glammed up for the evening. Uh, and he got into his three-piece suit. This kid was so proud to wear this suit. He's never worn a suit before. He's never had to wear a suit before. So he put on this three-piece suit. And he comes around and he goes, how do I look? You know, and he's asking everyone. Like, So he gets to the party. And then um, after dinner, it's time to party so obviously we're like all right this is what we came for and my dad is like already dancing with some lady whatever um and my little brother's like can I take off my shoes can I can I take off my jacket so I could really dance and I go you know what knock yourself out kid like I'm like the mom he comes to me because my dad is whatever in his own world he's 70 I mean he's just like yeah kid sure so anyway he takes everything off, and he's, like, rolling up his sleeves. He is dancing. By the third song, he's got a circle around him. He is doing flips. I didn't even know he could do flips, by the way. He's doing flips. He's dancing. One of the teenagers there, he takes, like, professional dance lessons, and he's dancing. He challenges my brother to, like, a battle, I don't know, like, out of one of these dance movies or whatever. And they get into it, and everyone is loving him. In, at the end of the day, someone sent an email to my nephew's dad and said, thank you so much for inviting us. We had such an amazing time. We're so proud of Kenny, my nephew, um, for completing this and you know having his bar mitzvah. Um, the highlight of the party was watching Kenny's uncle and his captivating performances. <laughs> We're like, what? So, needless to say, this kid was the star. And um, all that to say, the reason why I made this story about him was because sometimes we don't know why things happen. And I feel like when he was first born, or born into our lives three years later, but you know what I mean, we thought that was just an irresponsible, um, I don't want to call him, you, you know the word that I've, don't want to say, but we, we thought it was irresponsible. We thought it was something that my dad couldn't handle. And in the end, we really, especially after this weekend, it took us, our circus, going to a bar mitzvah in Mexico to realize that our little brother is actually a gift to the entire family. So... Okay, so 
when I was younger, um, going to my grandma's on it was probably something I looked forward to so much. I had gone every year since I was little, and I went every summer up to Michigan, and I loved it. It was in the country, and my grandparents had acres and acres of land, and my cousin would come from Missouri with his wife, and my aunt lived there as well, and it was really a peaceful time. Um, as the summer was approaching, though, I had found out from my parents that the summer I was not going to be going up there. I was pretty upset, especially because the opposite of going up there was my grandma was just constantly home cooking and very involved, and it was just so loving, and it was just a great place to be. I grew up actually down here in Fort Lauderdale, and my parents were pretty self-involved. They had divorced shortly after I was born, and my dad had remarried shortly after that, and had already kind of moved on with a new wife and new kids, and pretty much was in his own world. My mom was pretty much into helping other people, which kind of left me by the wayside. <laughs> she ran the uh, sexual assault treatment center for Broward County and rape center, so I kind of was exposed to a lot pretty young and grew up pretty fast. Unfortunately, though, being alone a lot, I had a lot of access to financial resources and little parental guidance, so I started kind of getting into drugs and alcohol and as my freshman year kind of came to an end and I really had gone to little amounts of school, I'd pretty much decided that I didn't really want to go to school and didn't know what I was going to do for summertime. Now that I found out that going to Michigan was off the table, really just partying and doing drugs and drinking all summer long was pretty much what was going to be in my future. My mom was pretty much doing her own thing over the summer, and I had unlimited financial resources, and it seemed like a lot of fun, and no one was really around. As summer kind of was coming to an end, though, my dad gave me a call and said, you know what, I think it might be good if we go see your grandparents. Instead, we're going to go ahead and go to Missouri, and your grandparents are going to meet us there to see your cousin and your aunt. I said, sure, this would be great. I haven't seen you in months. This maybe gave us some time to kind of hang out, reconnect. I love seeing my grandma. This would be great. So he picks me up Monday morning from my mom's house, and we fly to Missouri. Once we land there, it's going to be about a few-hour drive, so I slept most of the way. And once we pull up, it looked a little different than I had remembered, but I had only been there a few times when I was younger. As we walk up the uh, wooden porchway and enter this doorway, it closes behind us, and in front of us is standing six girls and two large men. My dad is then in a doorway, and the two men ask him to go in this office with him. I immediately am extremely confused <laughs> because I think I'm going to see my grandma. <laughs> I asked my dad what's going on, and he told me not to worry. I was going to go speak with these girls, and he'd see me in a few hours. The two men took him in an office, and then the girls told me I would go with them downstairs to speak for a few hours. I had no idea what was going on and was asking them, where is my grandma? They told me that they were going to go downstairs, and we were going to talk for a while, and they were going to let me know what my new home was going to be like. Immediately, I began freaking out. What are you talking about? My new home? <laughs> I thought I was on vacation for a few days. Where is my grandma? Where is my cousin? What's going on? I began screaming and banging on the door that my dad had gone in for him to come help me. 
There was no answer. As I turned back to the door that we had walked through and began to try to open it, it was locked. The girls told me I could either go willingly or forcefully with them. So I began to fight. The six girls pinned me down to the floor and put their hand over my mouth and told me that it was either going to be willingly or forcefully, and I had a choice. Well, (laughs) I decided I guess I was going to go along with this. As we walked down this hallway and proceeded downstairs into a basement, things started to look a little strange as I'm looking around. There are about 100 bunk beds in total and throughout this large room that is in a basement. (laughs) They tell me we're going to go sit and talk for a little while. There is one chair in a corner with six chairs surrounding it. I told them I'd rather stand, but again, the willingly or forcefully option came into play. So I sat down. I noticed all of them were dressed pretty interestingly in either long skirts and covered basically head to toe. You could see no skin besides their head. (laughs) So we began, we sat down, and they kind of started talking a little bit about what this place was. I asked exactly what this was, and they told me that this was a military Christian reform school for troubled teenagers, and that I was going to be living here for a minimum of a year. Instantly, I'm freaking out. I know I had gotten in some trouble, but honestly, nothing that I thought deserved to be away from my family and friends and in the middle of Missouri with very strange people. (laughs) They started telling me more and more about this school and how that basically there was two, a couple that ran the school and they were older, and we would refer to the man as brother and the woman as Mrs. Wills. Everyone there would be is the authority figure and that there was no leaving, there would be no making phone calls, and that I would have to do whatever they said for a minimum of a year. I asked exactly how long before I could see my family or when I could leave and see my friends. They said you never got to leave off the campus or anything like that, and that basically I would be staying here and they monitor all phone calls, any incoming and outgoing mail, and that they had a strict dress code We would be memorizing the Bible every day and having to quote, and if you didn't comply with any of the rules, they used any force necessary. I immediately explained to them that there was no way in hell that my dad would ever leave me in a place like this. I had gone to Catholic school my whole life, pretty casual Catholicism. My family was very casual about it. I had never even heard my dad talk about God at all my whole life. He never went to church or anything. So to hear all of a sudden, I'm in a school where people are talking about extreme Christianity to where you're memorizing the Bible or being punished, or if God didn't think it was sufficient, you would be punished for this. Especially at 15, it seemed extreme. (laughs) As I'm telling them that this would be no way I'd be staying there, they told me to just stay calm and that actually my dad was upstairs signing a contract that would guarantee me staying there for a minimum of a year and allow these people that owned it to use any force necessary to get you to comply with their rules. At this time, as I'm holding the tears back, I asked to use the restroom and to please be excused. All of them got up (laughs) to show me where the restroom was. When I asked for a, a little privacy, 
they explained that this is how it worked and someone would be with you at all times. As we walk down this hallway, I see actually six toilets lined up in a row. I asked where the doors or stalls. They mentioned that there is no privacy whatsoever, that there are no stalls, there are no curtains in the showers. It's just simply tiles and drains for the showers and toilets for the toilet, for the bathroom. I couldn't even believe this. I told them that I would go ahead and wait and they reassured me that I'd be waiting a long time because I was going to be staying here. As I went back and sat down and waited what seemed like eternity for my dad to please come and get me, they continued going on and on the different rules of what my new life would be like. This whole time, I'm wondering where my grandma is and my whole family and what could possibly be happening. Finally, as my dad is coming towards me, I get up and say goodbye. Like, goodbye, girls. I'm finally out of here. There's no way I'm staying here with you guys. They told me to go ahead and wait, and then my dad would say goodbye. As my dad began to approach me, I was like, Dad, we have to get the fuck out of here. These people are insane. Like, you have no idea the stuff they've been talking about for hours. Like, they're crazy. They're like robots. Like, we need to go now, please. He told me that I thought this would be the best thing for me, and that him and my mom had talked about it, and this was where I was going to stay. Instantly, I began screaming. I had heard of scare tactics and things like that from kids I had known, but nothing this extreme. I begged him and pleaded, please, I will do whatever you want. I will change. I'll be whoever. Please don't leave me with these people. He told me, though, that this was a final decision. He signed the paperwork, and I was going to be staying here for a minimum of a year. When I began to scream and hit him and curse and go crazy, the girls forcefully held me down and told me that I could not speak that way to my parent and that I needed to show some respect. I could not believe that this was even happening to me. My dad turned around and walked away. As I stood there screaming for him to please come back and help me, he did not turn around. They then took me where I had earlier seen the showers and told me it was time to get undressed and to take a shower. I was hysterical crying and extremely humiliated and couldn't believe this was happening. I told them I would not get undressed and they removed my clothing and began to shower me. After all of this, they gave me some strange clothing, a long, you know, old style nightgown and some person's underwear. They told me I needed to get dressed and they would show me where my bunk bed would be and to go to sleep for the night. I spent the entire night hysterical crying and anytime I would try to sit up or even go to the bathroom, someone would flash a light in my face and tell me to lay down. I thought all this was a nightmare, but unfortunately the next morning I woke up and it was a reality. Unfortunately, I had a tough time and it was a very difficult experience, but I would say to take away from all of that, it has made me a very strong person and a really great parent to help decide what I would never ever want a child to go through and what I think it takes to be a parent and to really be there for your child and anything they're going through and any signs that you see in people's life you should not turn their back on them, but to really be there 100% for people. And I just wanted to share my story. So. <laughs>
You just heard Meg Richter and her story was titled Going to Grandma's and Ending Up in a Cult. I joke that Meg loves to finish her stories on a cliffhanger. She recently came back to Raw to share a continuation of her story about being trapped in this military Christian boarding school and again left us all on one hell of a cliffhanger. She definitely has many stories to tell. You can find Meg at Thomas Madison Photography where she often shares snippets of her past life. That's all for this episode of Raw Storytelling. Uh, We'll be releasing one episode a month, always on the 16th. So please, please subscribe. You don't want to miss a thing. If you love what you heard and want to help us out, tell a friend. Tell a friend so more people can find us. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It really helps. And thank you to all who have already subscribed, reviewed, and rated. It means so much to me and the Raw team of volunteers. And we're grateful for all the comments. You can follow us at Raw Storytelling on Instagram and Facebook and check out our beautiful website, rawstorytelling.org, where you can listen to more featured stories, find storytelling tips, and get info on upcoming live shows. The live show audio was recorded by DJ Sandoz at Cafe Collective. Thanks to Dogs of Fun for documenting our shows. The music you hear in this episode is by Poddington Bear. Until next time, stay raw. Stay raw.